you have your Bible, find the book of Psalms. Psalm 27. I don't do this all the time, but I feel like I ought to tonight. I'm going to ask you to stand with me uh, as we read Psalm 27, these first six verses of this psalm. Really going to focus in on verse 4, but it'll help us to read these six verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. That's enough right there, isn't it? (laughs) Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, I love this, they stumbled (laughs) and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in time of trouble... Troubles do come, don't they? He shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises. Under the Lord. Thank you for reading with me. You can be seated. I'm going to pray. I want to preach to you about a single passion. A single passion. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the songs we have sung and the songs that we have heard tonight. Lord, we've already been ministered to and we thank you for that. Lord, we're thankful for the reminders of how good you are to us and how good you have been to us and how good you're going to continue to be to us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Help me to preach. Lord, take these simple thoughts, use them for your glory, or it's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen. Not long ago, through a conversation that I was having with a co-worker, there was birthed within my heart uh, an interest in the one thing statements uh, of the Bible. Uh, Hopefully, Lord willing, Thursday morning, I'll tell you about that uh, conversation, but it, it set me to looking at Philippians 3, where the apostle Paul said, this one thing I do. And then I started thinking about David in Psalm 27, which we just read, where he said, one thing I have desired of the Lord. And then I started thinking about what Jesus said to Martha, one thing is needful. And I thought about what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, uh, one thing thou lackest. I knew about the one thing statements from different writers and, and from people in the Bible But what I didn't know until I began studying out these one thing statements is that the 
various one things of the or the one thing from the various writers, it's really all the same thing. Just different perspectives. I don't have time to explain that right now. I'm going to ask you to trust me, for I am seldom incorrect. <laughs> For this moment, we're looking at David's one thing, one desire, a single passion that he had. That one thing, that single passion was to be in God's presence. To say that another way, his single desire, his single passion, his single drive was to be near to God. There were certainly other things involved in this one thing. But boiled down to its simplest terms, David wanted to be close to God. And his passion for the one thing is in line with the other one thing statements of the Bible. And it has to do with, I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint. It has to do with knowing and being in the presence of God. And what David's single passion was is a single passion that we should share and if you'll give me just a few minutes I want to look at three lessons that we can learn from from this single passion that David expresses first of all we we learn that we should have uh, we should share his ambition for the presence of God we should share his ambition for the presence of God. Or, or, or a better way to say that is, is the closeness to God, nearness to God. Uh, he, he wrote there in verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David had a lot going on when he wrote this psalm. Things weren't going well. He was in danger. His life had spiraled into seeming chaos. But in the midst of the danger, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the turmoil, David lifted his heart Godward. And he expressed his passion and ambition to be close to God when everything else was going to pieces. I'm going to share a, a couple of details about this ambition. I'm going to give them to you and then I'm going to try to preach about them a little bit. His ambition, we think about his desire for the presence of God. We, we need to think about the origin of this ambition to be close to God. And we need to think about the object of this ambition to be close to God. The origin and the object. What was it? that caused David to want to run to God when his enemies were surrounding him, ready to devour him. I would say to you that he tells us it was past history. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh... They stumbled and fell. And though a host should encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. David knew enough about God to know that God was worth getting close to when things got dicey. 
He knew enough about God. He had experienced enough of God's saving, delivering power in the past that when trouble came upon him again, he wanted to just get close to God. Listen, I... That was the object, the origin. It was his confidence in God. The object was what we've already said. Why would I bring this up again? Because I want to take a little closer look at it. David knew enough about God to know that God would help him. He knew enough about God to know that he could draw near to him and that it was a good thing to draw near to God. Listen, I don't know everything there is to know about God. I don't know as much as I ought to know about God. But I know enough to know that I can and I should and I should want to get close to Him. You see, He's defeated my enemies too in the past. And he's defeated your enemies. No, I'm not talking about ten foot giants. Not talking about killer kings. I'm not talking about lions and bears. No, the enemies I'm talking about are much more menacing. Oh, he's defeated my mortal enemies of sin, of death, and of Satan. And if he can defeat those enemies, then I ought to run to him. Why would I go anywhere else when trouble comes? Since God has delivered us from and through the destruction of our most menacing enemies by his son, we can can draw near. The penman of the book of Hebrews Speaking of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, He invites us in Hebrews 10.22, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because He has delivered us and destroyed the enemies of our soul, our ambition should be to be close to Him. Our ambition for the presence of God. Our aim for the presence of God. What did David desire to do once he was near God? The text gives us a twofold aim. First of all, he wanted to be near in order to savor. To savor the Lord. Verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold. Word means to gaze upon. To take a good long look at. The beauty of the Lord. That word beauty can also be translated delightfulness or pleasantness. Can I give you the NET translation? That's not New English translation. That's the New Ellison translation. I think I heard the air go out of the room there for just a second. (laughs) David wanted to draw near 
so that he could get a closer look at how good God is. He just wanted to sit there and gaze upon God's perfections and savor how delightful and how pleasant and how good God is to savor the Lord, to seek the Lord. Last phrase of verse 4, and to inquire in His temple. That word that's translated inquire, it's translated in some other places in the Old Testament as to seek, to seek out. It it describes a thorough searching out or investigation. It's a word that was used in Leviticus chapter 13 verse 36 to describe the high priest looking someone over to see if they were clean or unclean. It also means to contemplate. The more David savored the goodness of God, the more he wanted to think about and do a thorough investigation of just how good God is. God had revealed Himself to David as a God of justice, a God of vengeance, and a God of mercy, and a God of salvation. And that was enough for David to want to draw near, to get a closer look at how delightful and how pleasant God is. And once he was there, Brother Kevin, he didn't want to leave. He just wanted to know more and experience more of God's goodness. Because David mentions doing this in the temple, we might be tempted. Now, hang on with me here for just a minute, okay? We might be tempted to make this about church attendance. And to do that would fall short of what David was declaring. Let me say this, never a bad idea to go to church. Never a bad idea to remind preachers, your congregation, of the importance of going to church, although when you do that, you're obviously preaching to the people that are already there, but I digress. Having said that, (laughs) David didn't go to the Old Testament church to check a box. He didn't go to hear his favorite songs. He didn't go to get a good feeling. He went to church for the express purpose of savoring the Lord, meditating on Him, Searching out the unsearchoutableness of God. Let me ask you when is the last time that you went to church? Just for the sake of knowing more about God, not wanting anything for yourself. Just to worship Him. When's the last time you savored and sought out His goodness not to search out a sermon, not to gain theological acumen, but just for the sake of gazing upon the goodness of God and contemplating Him? 
That was the single passion of David. It was all he wanted. It's to get close to God. See how good he is. And think about how good he is. And just stay there with him. I'm going to move on. We learned something from David about we can have some assurances drawing near to God. In verses 5 and 6, it seems that David's confidence in God just, he's expressed it anyway. But verses 5 and 6, it seems to rise to a crescendo. Since he had experienced God's defense and deliverance in the past, I don't even know why I'm looking at my notes. I, I haven't hardly used them. There's some good stuff in there that I hadn't got to. Again, trust me. But since David had experienced God's defense and deliverance in the past, he, he had a passion for God's presence to be near to him where he would savor and seek the Lord and learn more about him. And he was confident because of what God had done for him in the past. He was confident that God wasn't going to hang him out to dry this time either. As I said earlier, started to say, I I don't know everything I ought to know about him. But I've experienced enough of his goodness to know that even when it looks bad, and even when it's been going bad for a long time, I have something I can lean on. I have times, I have experiences with Him, instances where He has come through in such an obvious way that I can remember and I can say He's never failed me yet. And He's not going to let me down now. David shares with us a twofold assurance we can have nearness of God. The first one is refuge. Verse 5, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Those aren't different places. That's the same place. It's where God was for David, for the Old Testament church. He shall set me upon a rock. Notice that David didn't say trouble wouldn't come. But he sure was confident. That he had somewhere to go. And he had someone to draw near to. And there was refuge to be found when trouble did come. Listen, don't get me wrong. There's something out there going to get all of us. At some point or another. I remember one of the joys of my life was being able to participate in a in a, uh, a military exercise for a few years there back where we used to live in North Carolina. And I remember one of those old special forces guys that I was talking to, old Green Beret, he had been on the mountain, man. He was the real deal. And he'd, I remember he said, oh, death, got a 100% win rate. I said, well, 99.9. But listen, something's going to get every one of us. But until it's God's time, we have a refuge. David's primary reason for wanting to be near God was to savor his goodness and to know him more. His secondary reason, I believe, was to take refuge in him. When David's life was plagued with trouble, 
danger and uncertainty. He sought refuge in God. We see it all throughout his life. It was like it was his default setting. Something's gone wrong. I'm going to run to my father. What is your default setting? I suggest that you discipline yourself to default to running to your father, your protector, your provider, your deliverer, your judge, and your defender. Take refuge in him, for he is our strong tower, our rock and our refuge, our fortress, our shield, our shelter in the time of storm, our defender and our deliverer. When we run to him, when you run to him, we are assured to find a warm welcome, open arms, grace, mercy, peace, and defense. David was confident that God was going to hide him, protect him in time of danger, but not just refuge, but David is, uh, he finds assurance that there's going to, that this thing's going to wind up in rejoicing. <laughs> Verse 6, and now, he's talked about past experiences. When they surrounded me to devour me, they stumbled and fell. And now, this time, <laughs> shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. David is confident that God would uh, give victory. He's assured that his head would be lifted up above his enemies. And that his head would be lifted up above his enemies is quite a, an amazing statement given the context of verse 2. They were out to destroy and devour. They ended up falling. David ended up standing tall. They were the ones who were down for the count. While David stood in an exalted position and posture over them. He is rejoicing even before the battle has seen its end. Because he knew God well enough to know. That he would be not simply delivered, but exalted. I believe David is this confident. And I talked about knowing about the Lord because of experiences. But did you know that my experiences and your experiences are faulty? But we have a more sure word. <laughs> I believe David when he says, Now shall my head, this time, my head shall be exalted above my enemies round about me. I think he's standing on covenant ground. There are some different schools of thought on when Psalm 27 was written. Some believe that it was written uh, after he was anointed, but before he ascended the throne. Others believe that it was written during his son Absalom's coup d'etat. I could have just said coup, but it sounds cooler when you say coup d'etat. Either way, though, he is standing on God's promises. If it's written while he's on the run from King Saul, God had already told him, you're going to sit on the throne of Israel. If it's while he's on the run from his son Absalom, it's because God had done made a covenant with him and told him that one would rise from your lineage and he will rule and reign forever and forever. 
not just Israel, but the world, to boil it down to its most simple form. When David was saying that his head would be lifted up above his enemies, he was believing that God would be faithful to his word and fulfill his promises to David and his purposes for David. I said all of that to say that I wish I could tell you that you'll get to see your enemies get what's coming to them. And that you'll be exonerated of all their accusations and exalted above them. But that just does not bear with reality. I wish it did and sometimes I want to help God out with that. But what I can say with certainty is that whomever and whatever might be bedeviling you, it will prove to be no barrier to the promises of God and His faithfulness to you. In fact, as I read the Scripture, I I find out that it is often through adversity and adversaries that God fulfills His promises to us and His purposes for us. For I read over there in Acts chapter 2 where Peter preached that it was through the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that the son of David was handed over to the Roman government to be crucified. And it was by the power of God that he was raised from the dead and death was undone by his resurrection. All look to Calvary where you see Jesus' head bowed in death by crucifixion on a Roman cross. But see him on the third day coming forth from the tomb with his head raised above those Roman soldiers who had fallen as dead men around that tomb. His enemies stumbled and fell. While his head was lifted above them, look to the tall mountain from which he was lifted up into heaven. See him seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Look really close and you'll see that you and I are seated in heavenly places with Christ and in Christ. Look to the not too distant future where he will return with a shout and the trump of God, and the voice of the archangels, and then our heads also will be lifted up above our enemies of sin and death and Satan, and we will rise and be there in the house of the Lord, beholding His beauty and contemplating Him for eternity. Because I'm sure That he has defeated my enemies through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. I can draw near. And it ought to make me want to draw near to know more about his goodness. And to do a thorough investigation of just how good he is. Knowing not only that he has defeated my enemies, but that one day the last enemy may, will take me down. But my head's going to be lifted up again because like old Lazarus, I'm going to hear the only voice that can be heard from six feet under the ground. And I will rise. And this thing's going to end in victory. And knowing all of that, 
Oh, it ought to pull my heart and your heart closer to Him. And it ought to give us just this one desire to be close to Him and to know Him more fully.